How are you? <laughs> Welcome to Life Point Community Church. I know you were expecting Pastor Dwayne to be up here, but surprise, it's my turn this morning. And as always, it's bring your own furniture to uh, church day. <laughs> so if you got a sofa or an easy chair or anything like that, feel free to bring it on in. Bring it on in. Good morning. I am so glad to see you guys all here this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, you may never have heard me before, my name is Matthew Robertson. I am the associate pastor here at Life Point Community Church. And uh, it is my honor and privilege a couple of times a year to be able to, uh, to be able to get up here and speak to you. But those of you who have heard me speak before, you guys know how this works. I get so nervous and so worked up leading up to doing the sermon that, that for the first few minutes, I kind of clown around a little bit and kind of joke a little bit and talk about what's going on in the world. It's my way of kind of easing into the subject matter that we're gonna be talking about this morning. And uh, can I just tell you, I don't have time to be nervous this morning. I just don't have time. We got too much to talk about this morning. Is anybody enjoying this series yeah. that we're doing? Hasn't it been great? Yeah, it's been really, really great. This morning, we're going to be talking about seeing what God wants me to see. And some of this is going to get just brutally honest. Uh, and I, I try to, when, when, whenever I'm making a serious point, I try to lighten it up a little bit with humor and stuff like that. I have a, a very odd sense of humor. And uh, I, I do not, let me tell you right off the bat that I do not seek to insult anybody or hurt their feelings in any way, but is every intention of mine this morning to poke you. I am going to poke you this morning. And in fact, if you come my way this morning and you don't feel poked, let me know because I'm not doing my job up here. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought to yourself, I, I, I just never get anything out of the Bible? I mean, when I read it, it's just boring. I don't get anything out of it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. If you have ever felt that way, you have picked a good weekend to come to church. See, the Bible is a difficult book if you don't understand the principle of illumination. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. See, I'm at the age where... Even with my, my, my nifty, handy-dandy trifocal lenses, I still have a difficult time reading really, really, really small print. And, and, and when I go to read something really small, I have to get it under a really, really bright light. How come? The more light you have, the brighter the light, the clearer you see. And isn't that true in all situations in your life? Brightness increases clarity. The more light you have, the more you can see. The same thing is true when it comes to God's word. To the more light or enlightened or illuminated your mind, the more you're going to get out of God's word. So how does that apply to reading God's word? Every parent who's ever set up toys for their children on Christmas Eve fears three dreaded words, batteries not included. Listen, a toy without the batteries in it is still a toy. But it can't be everything that it was meant to be unless it has power behind it. Without the power behind it, the Bible is just a collection of words. 
They're good words, really good words, but they're still just words. Through his son, Jesus Christ, God gave us the power to change this collection of words into a tool that has a potential for life-changing application. It can change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, and the way you react if you let it. So how did he do this? He gave us the batteries. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus went back to heaven, he said, I'm going back to heaven after the resurrection, but I'm going to send my spirit to live with you and live in you, the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the Holy Spirit's job to do is to illuminate the Bible, to, to help you see things in the book that you wouldn't see otherwise. If you don't have that, you're going to miss a lot in the Bible. See, God not only says, not only have I given you revelation, the word of God, but I've given you inspiration. That's the power to interpret, the power to understand, to see things that you've never seen before, and to be able to apply them in your daily life. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Well, how do we know this to be true? John 14, 26. Jesus said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's going to teach you and he's going to remind you. John 14, 17 says, he's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit who leads you to understand the truth of what's in the word of God. John 16, 15 says, the Spirit will take from what is mine, that is from the words of Jesus, and make it known to you. The Holy Spirit will illuminate the words of Jesus and, and enlighten it and implant it in your mind as you read. He's going to interpret. He's going to make it known to you what it says. And in Ephesians 1.17, it says, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you his spirit. The spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. Holy Spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. This is the batteries included part. This book, this book is supernatural. It's absolutely supernatural. Not only is it, is it the word of God, but it's the only book you're ever going to read where you're able to talk to the author while you're reading it. And, and as, as you look through the Bible, you can say, Lord, Holy Spirit, what, what does this mean? How, how, how am I supposed to use this today? How, how is this going to make a difference in my, my life? And the Holy Spirit is going to whisper in your ear. He's going to put thoughts in your mind. He's going to open your eyes. He, he illuminates. He, he lightens. And the light goes on in your mind, and you think, oh, that's what it's all about. That's what it means. This is the only book where you can actually ask the author, um... What did you mean here uh, while you're reading his book? And he doesn't mind. So how does this work? How does illumination work? Ephesians 1.18 explains it. It says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or illuminated in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Look at the phrase, eyes of your heart. It sounds kind of creepy, doesn't it? You know, some guy came up to you in a bus stop and said, 
I got eyes in my heart. You're probably looking for the nearest exit, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. See, when you were born, God gave you these, these senses. He gave you hearing and tasting and touching and smelling and, and feeling. And everything you experience in your time here on earth is, is filtered through those senses that you have. Think about what, how much you would miss if any one of those senses wasn't there. Now, during the pandemic, did any of you lose the sense of smell or taste? Anybody? A couple. A couple. What was that like? I, I got sick a couple times, but I, I never lost those two senses. Uh, so I was still able to enjoy my varsity chili dogs <laughs> in, uh, in all their greasy, glorious wonderfulness. Um, you know the way God intended for them to be. Um, so you get five senses when you're born. When you're, when you're spiritually born again, when you're reborn into God's family, you develop a relationship with Jesus. God gives you a second set of senses. And you get spiritual ears to hear some things that you never heard before. And you get spiritual eyes that uh, let you see some things about life that you never saw before. And all of a sudden, you feel some things that you didn't feel before. Those are the eyes of your heart, your spiritual eyes. And back to Ephesians. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, or your spiritual eyes, will be enlightened. That word in Greek, enlightened, uh, is photizo. And it's the word we get photo or photograph from. What is a photograph? It's an image of light stored on a piece of paper or now it's done digitally, but either way, it's, a, it's, a, it's an image of light. It's a capture of light. Um, and as we said earlier, the more light that you have, the more clearly you're going to be able to see. You ever take a picture at a family gathering and it comes out all, you know, all dark and kind of yellowy and grainy and you didn't have enough light to be able to take a clear picture? You know why Hollywood, California, is the capital of the motion picture industry? It's because in the early days of the movies, and, and, and I'm talking about the 1910s and 1920s here, the only way to get enough light to film a scene clearly was to use actual sunlight. And movie sets were built without a ceiling, and, and a lot of times without walls, so they could get enough light in to get a clear picture. And because of their weather, California was the optimal place to make movies. That's why they're the motion picture capital of the, of the world. That's one kind of illumination. What it means when you're reading the Bible is that all of a sudden one day the light bulb comes on in your mind and you go, I never noticed that before. I've never seen it before. It's the aha moment. You go, I've read that verse dozens of times. I've never seen that before. That's exactly what I needed today, right now to encourage me, to help me know which way to go. It's also known as the aha, or the eureka, I have found it moment. Or since we're talking about Hollywood, if you're a fan of the Back to the Future movies, it's the 1.21 gigawatts moment. <laughs> but see, that's illumination. For some of you, that's never happened before, as you've read the Bible. And you just read the words and blah, 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 but you've never had one of those aha moments. And for some of us, that's only happened once in a while. 
I'm going to talk to you this morning about how to make this a regular part of your daily Bible reading so that instead of just being printed words on a page, on a piece of paper, you're going to read the Bible and it's going to come alive. And you'll come away from your reading feeling that is so good. I never saw that before. That is just what I needed. It's God speaking directly to you through the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, your spiritual eyes are opened and you've begun this process of illumination. So what actually happens when God opens my spiritual eyes? We're going to spend the majority of today's message on that, and, and then I'm going to give you five ways to actually incorporate this into your daily reading so that, so that the Bible comes alive for you on a regular basis, not just once in a while. But, but first I want to talk about some of the benefits um, because when God begins to, to, to illuminate your mind and you learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden there's all kinds of really cool benefits in your life that you never knew. And trust me, you are going to want these benefits. When God opens my spiritual eyes, when I see things as he wants me to see them, number one, I see the solution to my problems. That's the first thing that happens. I see the solution to my problems. This morning we're going to take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 21. It's the story of Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and their sons, Isaac and Ishmael. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, the nation of Israel, and that God would give him a son to be the heir of this great nation. In 90 years of age, Abraham still didn't have a son. This is a problem. So Sarah comes up with plan B. Sarah says to Abraham, I'm too old to have a baby. God's promised to give us a child. Why don't you take my handmaiden, Hagar, and she'll be a surrogate mother, and you have a baby through her? Abraham says, um, okay. Yeah. Good plan. So Hagar gets pregnant with uh, Abraham's child. This is not God's plan. This is Sarah's plan. But the little baby's born, and he's a beautiful little baby, and they name him Ishmael. And Ishmael begins to grow up, and Abraham holds Ishmael up before God and says, God, you have given me the promised boy. And God says, um, no, that's, that's not my plan. That's Sarah's plan. But I love Ishmael, and I'm going to make him into a great nation too, but he is not the promised miracle baby. Later, in accordance with God's plan, Sarah does get pregnant, and she has a little boy named Isaac who becomes the father of the Israeli nation. Um, by the way, Ishmael becomes the father of all the Arab nations that are still around today. You know, the ones who are trying to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Sarah starts thinking about things, which is Sarah's big problem. She thinks a lot. <laughs> she says to herself, Ishmael's older. He's the firstborn. He's probably going to get the inheritance. Abraham's going to favor him. So she gets jealous and she kicks Hagar and her young, kicks him out, her and her young son. She said, you guys are out of here. Go on, and kicks him out into the desert. And we pick up the story in Genesis uh, 21, verse 14. It says, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar and set them on her shoulders and sent her off with a boy. Once again, he's going along with Sarah. 
She went on her own and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy Ishmael under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And he did. So we pick up the story in verse 19. It says, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Here's the point. She had the solution right in front of her, this, this well of water, but she couldn't see it until God opened her eyes. She helped her see it from a different perspective. I don't know what problem you're going through right now, but you get problems in your life and you're thinking, I, I don't see any way out of this. There's no answer to it. I can't see the solution. You need the Holy Spirit to enlighten your mind. You need him to open your spiritual eyes so you can see the solution in God's word. You're never going to see the solution to the problem on your own. You're never going to see it. But when God opens your eyes, you see the resources that were literally right in front of you, but you didn't see them before. Story number two. The second benefit of having your spiritual eyes opened is I see the barrier to my progress. So I not only see the solution, but I also see what's holding me back, what's keeping me from, from attaining that solution. You may have some things in your life that, that, that you've been wanting to do. You may want to start a business or, or start a family or get out of debt or something like that. You're trying to make progress on it, but you keep bumping up against an invisible wall and you're thinking, I don't get it. I'm doing the best I can, but I'm, I'm not getting anywhere with this. You need to have your eyes open. You need to have be illuminated. Numbers 22 contains the story of a guy named Balaam. Now, Balaam, the Bible is very clear on this. Balaam was a prophet of God. He was a man of God, but he decided, <clears throat> he decided to throw in his lot with some bad guys. God's not happy about this. God says, wait a minute. You're supposed to be my representative, and you're going to go help the bad guys? So Balaam starts on his journey to go help the bad guys, and God puts an angel in his pathway and blocks his progress. Only Balaam can't see the angel. The barrier to his progress was invisible. He couldn't see it. Numbers uh, 22, verse 22 says, God was furious that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn in his hand. Notice that the donkey could see the angel, but Balaam could not. And the donkey bolted off the road into a field because he was, he was terrified of the angel. But Balaam beat the donkey and turned it back onto the road. Balaam is determined. So the angel appears a second time. It says, then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing there, it tried to squeeze by um, and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. Life lesson here. You're always going to get hurt when you try to do something God doesn't want us to do. Balaam still 
doesn't see what's going on. The donkey sees what's going on. He doesn't see what's going on. He's just angry at the donkey for crushing his foot. And the Bible says, so Balaam beat the donkey again. He's angry. Third time around. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place so narrow that the donkey couldn't get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down underneath Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat it again with his staff. And we pick up the story in verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and Balaam saw what the problem was. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So what does Balaam do now that his eyes are open? The Bible says he bowed low and fell face down and worshiped God. It's a very, very strange story. But here's the point. You have plans in your life that aren't working out, and you get frustrated, and you start blaming anybody and everybody but yourself because you can't see what the real problem is. And it may well be that God is trying to keep you from making a serious mistake. God may be saying to you, I'm not going to let you go down that road. That no matter how much you beat your head against the wall, I am not going to let you go down that road because I love you too much. And you're going to be stopped by it. But you can't know that unless the Holy Spirit, unless through the Holy Spirit, God can open your eyes to what's really going on. So when your progress is being blocked, you get two choices. You can either beat the donkey or you can let God open your eyes. What's it going to be? You can either get mad at everybody else and take it out on your kids or your husband or your wife. And The problem is, is that you can't see the problem. The problem is, is that you can't see the problem. The barrier is that God is not going to let you do that because he loves you too much. Do you know that God always has a reason for everything he does? The fact that we don't understand it, uh, we don't understand what he's doing is our fault, not his. And that's one of the main purposes of, of prayer, to build the relationship between God and ourselves. The more you understand about his nature and, and, and about his character, the more we become like him and the easier it is to understand or at least accept when he says no. The more in tune with the Holy Spirit we are, the more his character becomes our character. The desires of our heart become the desires, the things that he desires for us. And then anything you ask will be given to you. And the desires of your heart match the desires that he has for us. Anything you ask will be given to you. So when God opens my eyes, I can see the solution to my problems. When God opens my eyes, I can see the barrier to my progress. And then you're going to say, ah, it makes sense. But I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it takes years to understand why God did what he did. Story number three. When God opens my eyes, I see the defense for what's attacking me. Everybody feels under attack at, at, at different points in their life. You, you may feel under attack right now. Yeah, maybe you're sick. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost your retirement. Maybe you're so plagued by anxiety and by doubt that you, you don't know which way to turn. And you feel defeated and broken and, and, and helpless. And you think to yourself, I am such a mess. 
what in the world can God possibly do in the middle of all that? There's a great story in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. It's actually one of my top five favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's the story of Elisha. Elisha, not Elijah, and the Arameans. Uh, <laughs> the nation of Aram was um, <clears throat> frequently at war with Israel. Every time they would attack Israel, God would tell Elisha what the king of Aram's plans were. So Elisha would go tell the king of Israel, and each time the king of Israel would kick the Arameans' fannies, just absolutely kick them back into the desert. Well, for the king of Aram, this just wasn't fun anymore. He thinks there's a traitor among his own people who's sharing secrets, and he thinks, we've got to plug this leak. When we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, it says, He called in his officers and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. And the king said, You go find where Elisha is, and we're going to send some troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When Elisha's servant, a guy named Gehazi, by the way, got up early the next morning and went outside, he saw the city surrounded by troops and chariots and horses. And he runs back and tells Elisha, what do we do now? He cries out to Elisha. Elisha replied, don't be afraid. There are more on our side than theirs. Gehazi, not unreasonably, thinks to himself, are you crazy? What do you mean there's more on our side than theirs? Last time I checked, there's like a couple thousand soldiers out there armed to the teeth, and in here, there's you and me without so much as a butter knife between us. Little bit of a drama queen, <laughs> but it's kind of understandable because from a human standpoint, he's t absolutely right. So we pick up the story in verse 17. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes. And he's talking about Gehazi here. Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked out, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is the angel army that Elisha, with his spiritual eyes, could see, but Gehazi, with his physical eyes, could not. They are completely protected by a host of heavenly angels. And there's no need to fear anymore. Isn't it amazing that you lose your fear when you know that God is close at hand? The rest of the story is actually kind of funny. People say the Bible has no humor. I think this is hilarious. Um, it says, as the Arabian army advanced toward them, Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, please make them blind. And the Lord did as Elisha asked. So Elisha went out and he told them, you've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. Think about that for a second. They're all blind now. And the guy they came to capture is standing right in front of them telling them, no, this ain't Dothan. Y'all must have taken a wrong turn back there. Y'all follow me, and I'll take you where this fellow you're looking for is hiding out. And the Bible says, and he led them to Samaria. What's in Samaria? Oh, the king of Israel and the entire Israeli army. So here's one guy 
Elisha, the guy they came to capture, leading an entire army of blind soldiers. One guy leading them into the hands of the Israeli army. And the Bible says, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elijah prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. And the Lord did, and they discovered that they were in Samaria. When Elisha's king, the king of Israel, saw the captive army, he shouted to Elisha, should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha told him. Do we kill prisoners of war? The answer is no, by the way. Give them food and drink and send them home again. So the king of Israel, he sets up this like great big barbecue with, with, with lots of pulled pork and brisket and Brunswick stew and cornbread. Yeah, I'm getting really hungry right now. Um, and lots of wine. And, and he basically treats them with the very best hospitality possible. And then he sends them back home to their king. You ever hear that part in the Bible where it says, be kind to your enemies, whereupon you will pile heaping coals upon their head? This is an example of that. This treated them with extreme kindness, basically humiliated the stew out of these guys. They came to fight. He gives them a party and sends them back home. And the Bible says something very poignant after that. It said, after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Whatever else you got to say about Elisha, the man had style. And it didn't hurt that he had an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. See, here's the point. You got things that are attacking you, and you're going to panic about it. You're going to feel overwhelmed, and you're going to feel defeated. God needs to open your eyes and show you all the resources on your side that he's commanded to take care of you. There are angels around you all the time. You can't see them, but God's forces are there to protect you. And when you see things from God's perspective, you can see all the defenses around you. And you can let go of whatever fears are holding you back. Fourth story. Fourth benefit of being able to see with spiritual eyes, to have my mind illuminated, is I see God is walking with me. So when God opens my eyes, I see him walking right next to me. He's been with me all along. I just didn't see it. I don't know what you're going through right now. You may feel like you're, you're, you're all alone. You think God is a million miles away. You're dead wrong. God is always present. He's always with us. He's always walking right beside us every single step of the way. You just can't see it until your mind is illuminated. And the story I want to share is one from Luke 24 happened on the, the, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the very, very first Easter. Um, what happened in the past 72 hours, <laughs> a lot happened. Um, Jesus Christ had been arrested. He'd been beaten, tortured, crucified. He died, and they buried him in a tomb. And all the disciples, they're, they're, they're all crushed. And they're thinking, we, we thought this guy was God. We, we, we thought he was the Messiah. They... They've killed him, and they're probably going to kill us. They're all fleeing for their lives. They're running away in fear, basically. Then on Easter morning, some women go to the tomb, and they find that the tomb's open. The body's gone, and the angels are there saying he's risen. So they go back and tell the disciples. The disciples come out and go, well, yeah, he's gone, but they don't know what to make of it. And the rumors start spreading all over that Jesus is risen, but nobody's actually seen him yet. So later that day, 
a couple of Jesus' disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. They're, they're fleeing Jerusalem. They're in fear of their lives, but they're, they're, they're grieving. And, and, and they're, they're just overwhelmed by the sadness of, of, of everything that's happened. Everything that they thought about, dreamed about, was gone. And we pick up the story in Luke 24. And it says, suddenly Jesus came, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. And Jesus said, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you so concerned about? And they stopped short and sadness was written on their faces. And uh, Cleopas said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened in the last few days. And Jesus said, what things? Well, of course, Jesus knew exactly what had happened. I mean, he was there. He's trying to ease them out of their grief gently by reminding them of what they already knew, exactly who he is and what the prophecies had said about him. So they tell this stranger all about Jesus, about his teaching, about the crucifixion, about his death, and they finish up with, with this. Then some women were at his tomb early this morning and came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they'd seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, just as uh, the women had said. So they're all confused at this point. They hadn't seen Jesus. He's walking right there beside them, but they haven't seen him yet. They don't know what to believe. So, so to, again, to ease them out of their grief, Jesus reminds them about the prophecies in the Scripture. The Bible says, then Jesus said, you're such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in Scripture, or believe all that the prophets wrote about in Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all those things before entering into his time of glory? And then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining what all the Scriptures said about him. And it goes on. It says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and near the end of their journey. And Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night with him since it was getting late. So he went home with them. They still didn't recognize him. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took a small loaf of bread, just like he did at the Last Supper, asked God's blessing on it, just like he did at the Last Supper, broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Right then, right then, he disappears from their sight. Can you imagine being in that room at that exact moment? The guy you think is God is crucified and died. Then we hear he's resurrected, but we really don't believe it. Uh, then a stranger walks along with us, and as soon as he breaks the bread, and it, we realize that it's him, it's Jesus. And as soon as we recognize him, he's gone. That was illumination. In their grief, they couldn't see that Jesus was with them. They had this enormous loss, and they just couldn't see it. They needed to have their eyes opened. Say, I don't know what you've lost this year. Years always, the older I get, the more years always seem to bring a loss of some kind or another. You may have lost a loved one, or you may have lost your job. Whatever you lost has it, it, it caused you a lot of pain and you're grieving and you can't see that every step of the way Jesus has been right there by your side 
You have never been alone. You have never been by yourself. See, God is walking right with you, but your eyes are blinded and you can't see it. But when God opens your eyes, I see the solution to my problems. I see the barrier to my progress. I see the protection that God has from all the things that are attacking me. And I see that he's been there with me all the time. If you've got those five things on your side, what can you not do in the kingdom of God today? So how do I do that? How do I get that kind of illumination? We're going to go through this kind of quickly here. You've got to do five things. Five things to get your eyes open, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that he can give you clarity and insight. First one, very, very basic. I must begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the starting point. If you don't have this one, you're spiritually blind and you don't have any hope of seeing things from God's perspective. You've got to get the connection first. You can't just know about Jesus. You've got to know him. You've got to have a relationship. You've got to be born again. You've got to accept his salvation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.4, it says, The man without the spirit, or the man who's not yet accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You can argue if you want, but I'm not going to listen. Our, our nation was founded on biblical principles. Every law and every book has its foundation somewhere in the Ten Commandments, yet we still have a problem with crime. Why? You can make all the laws in the world to make people act and do the right thing, but they're not going to do it when it doesn't make sense to them. Our eyes are blinded until we have that connection with God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They cannot see the light of the good news. None of us saw it until we received Christ as our Savior. At that moment, the Holy Spirit began dwelling in, in each one of us, teaching and, and illuminating, instructing. And all of a sudden, the blinders came off, and we begin to understand things that we never understood before. And that's why Jesus says in John 33, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. You can't see what God's doing right now, right here in this world, until he is born again. Until God opens your eyes and gives you that spiritual insight, you're not going to be able to see God at work around you. You're not going to recognize it when it's happening. Here at LifePoint, we talk a lot about relationships. Relationships are everything, especially a vibrant, in-depth in uh, relationship with the resurrected Jesus Christ. If you don't have that as your starting point, the Bible's only going to be printed words on the pages of a book. It's only when the Holy Spirit, a gift freely given through Jesus, begins to speak to us, to, to interpret for us, to, to illuminate, that the Bible comes alive. It becomes a book of answers, of maps and, and, and pathways that will guide you through all the storms that this world can, can throw your way. Do you know who God is? The book of James says, good for you. Even the demons know who God is and fear him. Or do you know God? Do you understand his nature? 
his character? Do you know what he expects from you and what you can expect from him in return? To know who God is is an acknowledgement. To know God is a relationship. Like all relationships, it's going to change over time. If you feed it, it's going to grow deeper. Now, we've said before that our God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today. He'll be the same a thousand years from now. God is perfect. So if there's going to be a change in the relationship, who's going to do the changing? We are. Because the more we study the Bible, the more we, we build on our relationship with God, the deeper we go, the more we understand him, the closer we get. We're the ones who are going to change. And how do you begin any relationship? You begin by spending time together. Next one. We must ask God in faith to open my eyes. I like to spend a few minutes praying before I ever even open my Bible, and then I spend more time praying after I've read for a while. But one of, one of my go-to prayers is uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. It says, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your laws, written in your laws. What does it mean to ask God in faith? It means that because we know God, not just who he is, we know God, we can trust in him to always keep his promises, and we can expect him to answer our prayers. When I ask God for clarity, for, for, for insight, and for wisdom, I can confidently expect him to respond because God always keeps his promises. Amen. What promises? James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, Lord, I need wisdom in this business deal, my, my marriage with my kids, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Let's look at that again in light of God's promises. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you, promise. And teach you, promise, in the way you should go. I will counsel you, promise, and watch over you. Four promises in one skinny little verse. But I've got to ask God in faith to open my eyes. Why is it so important to ask in faith? Without faith, without the batteries, they're just printed words. When you reach out in faith with the full experience of a growing relationship with the resurrected Jesus Christ, you can confidently expect to receive answers and to get direction. Next one is, I must come with a humble attitude. In Sunday school, we've been studying in the book of James, and we've been learning a lot about the Hebrew culture. And one of the character traits that, that was highly valued uh, was humility. And we've kind of lost that in today's it's all about me attitude. Basically, humility is about deference to others, being willing to put others' wants, others' needs and ideas before our own. 
So how important is that when reading the Bible? If, if I come to the Word of God and I go, I got it all figured out. I, I, I don't need God's help on this marriage issue. I don't really need God's help on this financial attitude. You're not going to get anything. Your eyes are going to be closed. If you've already made up your mind what you're going to do, you're not looking for direction and guidance. You want confirmation. If you want direction, you have to come with a humble attitude. Psalm 25, 9 says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. That's pretty clear. If you'll be humble, God will guide you. Straightforward. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. This one is beautiful. As Duane would say, let's unpack this. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. Trust in who? The Lord. Not, your, not, not, not yourself? No. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart and lean not on your, your own understanding. In other words, here's what I think I ought to do. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In some of your ways, acknowledge him? No. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Your, your sexual ways, your financial ways, your career ways, your relationship ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. He's going to point you on the road to success. He'll make your path clear. So I ask God in faith to open my eyes. I come with a humble attitude. This one's hard. I must cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. This one is hard. I can't get my eyes open if my mind and body is full of junk. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You can't see it unless your heart is pure. See, pure doesn't mean perfect. If God only illuminated the minds of perfect people, nothing would ever happen on this planet because none of us are perfect, not one. Pure in heart means I'm caught up today on my confession. It means there's nothing standing between me and God. Yeah, God, I agree. You were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Don't let the garbage pile up in your life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If, if, if I'm over here watching pornography and I come and say, God, I need some instruction about what to do in my job, it's not going to happen. Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. God. If I'm over here filling my mind with trashy novels and movies and, well, just about anything that's on TV, and I come and say, God, I need instruction about what to do in my job, it's not going to happen. All that stuff clogging up my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to see it. I must have a clear conscience. I must cleanse my heart of sin. And, and, and not just sin, but of conflict. Uh, John 2.11 says, whoever hates his brother in the dark is in the darkness, and he walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going. That means if I'm out of balance relationally, I'm not going to get anything out of the Bible. If I have 
a big argument with someone and I sit down and say, God, I need you to teach me from your word, it's not going to happen. I'm going to read the stories, I'm going to read the verses, but it's not going to change anything. I'm not going to have that aha moment. How come? Because there's relational conflict. The Bible says you can't be right with God and wrong with others. You cannot love God and hate others. Can't. The Bible actually says quite a lot about conflicts. Husbands. The Bible says that a faithful wife is more precious than rubies. When was the last time you said that to her? All right. Are you maybe taking her for granted a little bit? And when she asks you to do something, do you, do you put it on the back burner? Or do you treat it as something that's important to her? See, your prayer life and your relationship with God is going to suffer because of it. Look at 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Did you get that? Treat her right so that your prayers will not be hindered. Okay. If you want to have a good relationship with God, you need to invest in your relationship with your wife. And, like so many things in the Bible, the opposite is also true. If you want to have a good relationship with your wife, you need to be a man of prayer. You need to be a man who spends time talking to and listening to God and putting into action the things that he tells you. I know it's weird, but it works. And it holds true for all our other relationships as well. That's why the Bible says if you've got something wrong with a brother, you've got a quarrel going on with somebody, and you come to church and you're going to make a burnt offering, you got something with somebody else, you leave your offering on the church step. And you go and you make it right with that brother, and then you come back and make your offering. You don't make your offering while there's still sin in your heart. You can't do that. So if you really want your mind open, if, if you really want to see the solution to your problems, you may need to do some serious introspection this afternoon. You may need to forgive somebody. Or you may need to ask forgiveness. You may need to let somebody off the hook. To quote a really bad Disney movie, let it go. <laughs> because until you do, you're blind. And you can't see with your spiritual eyes. Ask God to open my eyes. Come with a humble attitude. Cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. Commit in advance to do what God says. See, this is where the rubber meets the road. We say it in church all the time. Listen to God. Do what he says. If you really want God to open your eyes, to give you understanding and, and to give you direction, it's time to stop saying that. It's time to start doing it. This, this is absolute, unconditional obedience. God, I need you to teach me what to do this week with my with kids, with my, my wife, with my finances, with my business. I need you to teach me, and I'm telling you in advance, I'm going to do whatever you show me to do, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when I don't understand it, even when it isn't popular, 
even when it isn't easy. I'm saying yes before you even tell me what to do. All the illumination in the world isn't going to do you one bit of good until you're willing to act on it. Psalm 119, 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, and I will keep them. See the promise, the, the, the commitment that's right there? I will keep them. You teach me, and I'll do it. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Whatever you show me, I'm going to act on it. Why is it important to say that in advance? Because it demonstrates sincerity. It shows that you're, you're willing to incorporate the things that he's teaching you into your life, and in doing so, you go deeper into your relationship with God. It's my turn to be humble. I've told you before that I have a problem with swearing. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that uh, I can not only give you, I know words that I can not only give you the definition of, but I can use them in complete grammatically correct sentences. It's, it's just a, a stupid habit I picked up before I became a Christian. And being born again did not cleanse me of this particular thorn in my side. For years, I prayed that, that, that God would take this habit away from me, but he remained silent on the matter. And one day he gave me a very painful answer. He said, it's because you aren't serious about it. You didn't mean it. Ouch. Are you serious about wanting direction from God? About wanting to teach you, to, to, to grow you, to enrich your life so that you can have the blessings of abundant life that this book promises? See, it's not just enough to hear the words of God. You have to be willing to act on them, to put them into practice. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Because acting on it is the bottom line. And the key, it's the entire key to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And God's not going to give you step number two until you act on step number one. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us today. Lord, I pray that you would take the things that we've heard this morning and help us to incorporate it into our lives that we may have a deeper and closer relationship with you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each one of our lives, opening our eyes and guiding us and teaching us and giving us direction. Lord, I just pray that we would be open to that and willing to put it into practice. Help us to use it this week to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all have a great day.